Welcome to the podcast of MotorWeek, television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com and RockAuto.com. Here's your MotorWeek podcast host, John Davis. Thank you, Alec Webb. Welcome, everyone, to MotorWeek podcast number 236. I'm John Davis. Thank you all for joining us. And with us today on this podcast, our writer, two-wheeling reporter, Brian Robinson. Hello. Our over-the-edge reporter, Greg Carlos. Good to be here. And our online content coordinator, Jessica Ray. Good morning. Good morning and good day to everybody. And we're going to get right to it. We've got three vehicles we want to talk about. We have a lightning round. We have a viewer question from Ryan. We'll see if anybody's got a rant and rage. And at the end, Jessica and I are going to talk a little about a little bit about a segment we're bringing back for the 40th anniversary season of Motor Week, and that is our Car of the Week. And we'll talk about how you can get in on that. And with that, the first vehicle, which, uh, we actually have only seen uh, virtually so far, it's the 2021 Ram 1500 TRX. I guess what stands out about this version of the Ram, since it seems like almost every week they've got a new version of it, uh, this looks like a, a real competitor to the Ford Raptor and uh, more than just cosmetics. What do you think? Is it too little too late? Is it obvious? Uh, does it look impressive? It's impressive for sure. Um, definitely not too little too late. I mean, the pickup wars are certainly in full force right now. Um, yeah, the, uh, originally the Rebel, when that came out, the Ram Rebel, mm-hmm. um, people thought that would be the Raptor fighter, but it really wasn't. It was kind not of just... Really. Yeah, I mean, it, it was lifted, right. Yeah, it was just lifted a little bit and had some cool exterior design stuff. But this takes the Hellcat motor, which they just shoved in the uh, Durango. Um, now it's in the Ram, which is awesome. Um, doesn't make quite the full. I think it's seven hundred and ten horsepower in the Durango. Here it's seven hundred two. Right. Um, still a ton of horsepower. I don't think you're going to miss those eight horsepower. Um, and when you compare it to the Raptor, which is now a twin turbo V6. You know, you have that big brutish all-American V8 in the Ram and that I mean that's a statement right there. Yeah, that Hellcat engine is just the uh, gift that keeps on giving. I mean, <laughs> it is isn't it. They put it in everything and I love it every time. The reason it's down on horsepower a little bit is they redid the whole intake mm-hmm. and also the oil uh, they wanted to make sure it's got better oil flow for off-road use and consistent oil flow. So they redesigned that and redesigned the air intake to get everything up top so it can do like 28 or 30 inches of water forwarding, something like that. Uh, so that was why it's a little bit down in horsepower, but it's got two and a half inches of lift, 35 standard. Uh, and in regards to the Raptor. It's got a lot of suspension upgrades. I mean, it's got some in common with the Raptor. Uh, I don't I know. I think there's a – aren't the shocks from the same source? No, no. The uh, Rams are uh, Bilstein uh, Blackhawk E2s. First time they've been on a production truck. The uh, Raptor uses Fox. Is shocks. it, is it the res- is it the reservoir or something like that? Yeah, they, they both have remote reservoirs. And they're yeah. both reservoir. I guess that was it. That's just to get the fluid out and get it yeah. cooled down. The uh, – um, in regards to the Raptors V6 Turbo, there's already spy. There's a new F-150 coming out, but mm-hmm. any day now, and uh, there's already spy shots of the new Raptor with a V8 in it. So, uh, so they know they re- they saw this coming. Yeah. So yeah, we'll see. Uh, it should be great. I would love to do a comparison test for sure. Yeah, Somewhere in the desert 
with no PR people around. That would be epic. <laughs> so Jessica, what's been the online response to the TRX? Because it, it's now going to be considered for uh, North American Truck of the Year, which is really kind of unusual. And that just shows you how much everybody believes this is a totally, or if not totally, a real different entity from the standard, F, uh, standard 1500 Bram. Yeah, I mean, you know, of course, initial reaction is um, pick up faithful, you know, people who already don't like Ram or like, oh, the, the, uh, so is this all the, the F-150 crowd that's, that's uh, carping? Yeah, of course, of course, yeah. you know, everybody has their favorites. And, um, but I think most people are like, this is an amazing, you know, this is amazing. I, I love this. I think overall it's been positive. Of course, you know, the, the price tag always is, is a, a bit of a killjoy, but I think overall uh, most people are, are really excited about it for sure. Yeah. This, I don't know why anybody's worried about price tag. Nobody else seems to be worried about price tags for pickup trucks when they go in and buy them. I mean, that's where all, I think the seven year loans are, are going for. Uh, have, I don't recall right offhand. What are they looking at? Is it seventy grand for this to start? Seventy yeah. grand, and then yeah. the, uh, they have a launch edition, a seven hundred two launch edition that'll yeah. be like eighty eight, closer to ninety grand. But it, you have a bunch of like Mopar parts on there and cool looking exterior features. So, you know, it's every day you wake up and wonder what they're going to try and stuff that Hellcat motor into next. <laughs> I'm bring here for the, I'm here for all of it. the Horizon Hellcat or something like Fiat that. Fiat 500X. Right there, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> People want it in the minivans. Put it in the put it in the minivans. Oh, <laughs> yeah, with all wheel drive. Yeah. Four wheel drive. That that would be really to have to be jacked up, probably. <laughs> all right, let's move on to something that we actually have seen in the sheet metal: the 2021 Chevrolet Tahoe, all new vehicle, basically. Um, GM had to do something to counter the uh, terrific success of uh, the new uh, Ford Expedition and Expedition Max. Uh, first impressions when you see it, it's big, it's sleek, it's kind of uh, slab-sided, but it's still attractive. It's got the uh, a variation, of course, the Silverado uh, grill up front. Uh, a similar interior arrangement with the instrument panel but much different in execution i mean it's the same architecture but more modern and more what i think families expect so i spent quite a bit of time in it i really haven't heard what any of you thought of it so i'll turn the floor over to you um well i have have been in um i i spent a, i spent a decent amount of time in it uh by chance um and Obviously, you know, we, we had a high country, so top of the line, right. and it was very, very plush. Um, but I think overall, like ride quality, I was really impressed. Um, I was able to take it on the highway, got over 60 miles an hour, and it's quiet. It's, it's so quiet, which is what people want, especially when you're driving a vehicle that big. And it does feel big. And I think anybody did you feel did you feel it was uncomfortably big because you know mm -hmm. it it is such a big vehicle, and a lot of families will be buying this, and frankly, a lot of uh, women will be driving it. You know, mothers, and uh, I sometimes worry about these big full size SUVs being 
overpowering, but how, what was your impression? So, well, I guess I, I have a bit of a different experience because I learned how to drive on a Suburban, like oh, that's a well, tank. So, so I, 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 we always had uh, either a Tahoe or a Suburban growing up. So for me, I've always been comfortable in, in those vehicles. And, you know, I, I am small, I'm like five foot tall. Um, so I've always, I've never felt uncomfortable in one of those vehicles. I always felt like I could see very clearly over the hood because sometimes you can't. I've, I've definitely been in vehicles being shorter and even just adjusting the seat is not enough for me to comfortably be able to like see where the front end of the vehicle is like in a lane. But this um, one was okay. Yeah, this was good. I mean, it is big, and that, and even the hood seems a little bit raised. Uh, I, I even thought I couldn't see where the front of the vehicle was. I mean, it you know it caused me pause a little bit. It, I think it just takes some time to get used to, but um, overall, I felt very comfortable, and I felt like the visibility in it all around was very good, um, and it was obviously very roomy. And one of the things I actually really enjoyed with sort of the, the layout in the front was the gear shifter, how it's push button and, um, and no longer, you know, the bar on, on the column. Um, and cause I actually, I'd driven like a, a uh, like a Silverado that had one and I, I don't know, I just wasn't a fan of it and it takes a little bit longer, but with the push button, I felt like in the Tahoe was very easy to learn easy to learn more than some of the other push buttons I think that we've like had. I thought it was very simple. I mean, and it, to me, it just, I don't know. It just made sense. It, the placement of it, like right by your hand is on the wheel. It's literally right next to the wheel. So um, I felt like it made it easy. You know, when you're reversing, you're turning, you know, right. your, your, your hands are right by the steering wheel. You don't have to come all the way down, you know, or, you know, with, with, with the column. So I thought that was nice, but um, overall, I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was great. And I mean, it's, it's a big, it's a big truck. So, <laughs> but, it, but that's what you get. It is noticeably bigger than before, which I was, it's almost suburban size now. Yeah. Which yeah, it really I, was, I was really surprised because the big deal is they went to the independent rear, which allowed for more space inside already. I'm not sure why they had to make it uh, so much <laughs> bigger, but there's like 10 inch more, uh, leg room in the third row, a uh, ton more space in there. Um, everything's pretty familiar. I mean, if you've been in a Tahoe, this is just a slightly upgrade version of, of what you've been in before, but, but with a lot more space. Greg? I was on vacation while I was in, so I didn't get a chance to drive it, but um, I saw through uh, Jessica's post and everything. I mean, it's just so big. Like, it, it makes you wonder, like, exactly to Robinson's point, is like, why do they have to? make it that much bigger like well, how far are we going to well, go until it finally shrinks back in the reason is expedition i mean they basically made it within an inch as long as the expedition and somehow they not only beat the expedition in interior volume but they actually beat the expedition max which was was the suburban fighter i don't really know how they did that but you know it's it's kind of magic but they the numbers are there um, but that was clearly what they had to do. Um, no matter what they started out with, they had to make it basically so they went toe-to-toe -to -toe with uh, Expedition because it sold so well. And, of course, the same basic 
you know, design is going to be used for uh, uh, Cadillac, so for the Escalade. So they had to make sure, since the Navigator has been giving um, Cadillac so much trouble, they had to be prepared for that. So I think I think it was just meeting the competition. Um, yeah. yeah, John. And it, it did have a great ride. Yeah, and I think I def it was definitely noticeable. I got in the back seats. I got in with the bucket, so uh, in the second row and the third row. And that leg room is very noticeable. And I think if anybody has, I mean, been in a third row and you feel scrunched, it's incredibly uncomfortable. A lot of these vehicles, you know, are, are used with, with families with older children mm -hmm. um, who are young adults or, I mean, how many Tahoes get sold to Enterprise every year to be used as um, family vacations? Yeah. Yes, so I think it's it kind of made sense. I mean, it, it definitely feels bigger. Robinson's correct in, in that, um, but I think yeah, it's kind of necessary if you want a truck that can fit. I guess eight. I'm trying to do the math in my mind. Seven adults comfortably. Mm -hmm. Like that's what you have to do. So what do you, what does anybody think about, you know, that you're going to be able to get the, the diesel that we just had in the Silverado in it as well. Do you think that will interest people or have diesels been too discredited? What do you think? I think it'll interest a select few people and they'll love it and be disciples of it. But I don't see like a huge, yeah. uh, huge take rate. Yeah. I'd like to actually try and try one. I, I loved it in the pickup truck. I feel like a hybrid version. I think would be more popular than a diesel version, truthfully. I agree. Yeah. Let's move on to our third car, the Mercedes GLA 250. Uh, it was a 2021 model. Um, small is beautiful. What do you think? Yeah, I don't think it's, well, it's definitely small, um, but it feels bigger. You know, when I was driving and we did, we just recently had a quick spin in it and, uh, part of my comments were it just feels more substantial because it is. I mean, the first GLA was more of like a, just a hatchback, a raised hatchback. This one definitely feels like an SUV. You sit a little bit higher, everything inside just feels more substantial. You feel a little safer. Um, still drives like a car though. I mean, you don't feel like you're driving an SUV. There's hardly any body roll and just normal driving. And it's quick. I mean, the base two liter, it's really quick off the line. I mean, there's no lack of power, which some small SUVs kind of go small with their engine and they don't feel like the people need the power, but uh, there's, it's here in spades with this one. So I was impressed with it. Yeah, I think we talked about the GLA before uh, a while back, but after having driven it, um, the big thing to me is this is with small crossover, especially luxury being such a big deal now, this is their entry level model now. Uh, more so than the sedans and the CLA and the A-class sedan. I mean, pretty much everyone comes in to look at this GLA and I don't, it's like 80, 90% of the, yeah. the buyers are first time Mercedes buyers. So uh, it's a huge deal. And in that regard, uh, I think they knocked it out of the park. I mean, it's so nice inside. It feels like you're in an E-class. They really did a good job. You being a first time Mercedes buyer, you would get in that and be like, this is exactly what I was expecting. Mm -hmm. And I also like uh, the fact that they kept the styling uh, not like the GLB. I was expecting uh, the Slow, GLB to almost. be so awesome yeah. and it was so different that 
maybe they would copy that with the GLA, but they didn't. So I'm glad. I'm glad that the GLB is somewhat unique and uh, looking compared to the GLA. Agreed. I mean, I I was pleasantly surprised that we've gotten in so many entry level not only Mercedes, but BMWs and Audis and so forth in the past. And, and you can just look around and see where they cut corners. And this, it wasn't obvious. You felt, hey, it's a, it's a true Mercedes. Yeah, you get in it and it is just about everything looks-wise and, and execution-wise that you get. Um, anything else in the Mercedes lineup in the base price is around 36 grand. Mm -hmm. um, you know, expensive compared to 10, 15 years ago. But right now, I mean, that's not bad at all. And if you're getting into the luxury SUV game, I mean, that's not a bad entry point. No. I mean, so many of the vehicles we get with lesser nameplates these days are 50 and up. So anyone else? Good. We have a lightning round this time. So let's get right to it. And this is really about uh, something that's going on right now. Jeep uh, always basically has a little something up their sleeve, just like Ram does these days. And they've been teasing the return of uh, two iconic nameplates, the Wagoneer and Grand Wagoneer. Uh, speculation, which I think is pretty solid, is they're actually going to be based on the Ram 1500's chassis. So these are going to be pretty big and basically go after things like Tahoe and Expedition. Uh, except with a more rugged off-road focus. Uh, Grand Wagoneer will probably be upscale of that, go more after uh, Lincoln and Cadillac. Is this a market that Jeep should be playing in? Are they reaching too high? Are they forgetting what they're, gonna, what they're supposed to be? It's all taken in context with the, uh, the Grand Cherokee they have now. What do you think? Everybody all at once. Absolute silence. <laughs> Well, I mean, it uh, it makes sense. Uh, uh oh, John's video went away. It's okay. I'll keep. I'll talk. Well, him. we can tell what John thinks about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, the well, I um, used to I used to own an old Wagoneer, so there you go. Yeah, it's uh, predictable, kind of what they're doing with everybody bringing back old name plates. Um, nostalgia is in full force across the industry right now. Um, I'm really curious to see their execution because I know that jeep and really fca as a whole tends to struggle with some build quality it feels like it, it seems like sometimes their interiors even though they say they're nice and they try to present them as such they're not quite there even to like gm standards um so i'm curious to see what they pull off here um i don't know if i would agree with that i think their interiors are are gotten a lot better and i think even the jd power numbers uh would indicate that. Uh, I think this is, was a long time coming for sure. Uh, We've been and, talking yeah, about it for years. Yeah, I mean, literally. people people are certainly asking for it. And uh, we were just talking about that Tahoe. People are spending 70, 80 grand on a Tahoe. Uh, right. So there's plenty of room in the market for this for sure. And can't you just see the Hellcat engine stuffed into one of them not too far down the line? Just a matter of time. Yeah. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see you know, since, you know, they've, they've, we've seen a bunch of revivals of, of vehicles, um, especially since, you know, if you look at some of our retro reviews, what we used to compare the Jeep Wagoneer with, mm -hmm. um, I don't think, you know, we can't, it, we won't be able to compare them anymore, you know, um, 
the blazer itself, you know, kind of is a contemporary version of, of right. the, the old blazer, the Bronco being this modern traditional version of the Bronco. So I, I'm, I'm interested to see sort of where the Wagoneer sort of lies. I think maybe a happy medium between those two play off on the nostalgia, but keep it contemporary um, because you kind of have to, it's, it's less of a, a wagon. It's, it's going to be in a, a, a full-size SUV. So and, oh, yeah. and a body on frame SUV, just when they were almost extinct, you know, then we've got, you know, even, well, not necessarily body on frame, but front engine architecture for the new Explorer. Now we're going to have another big body on frame, uh, full-size uh, SUV, uh, which really, you know, FCA has not had, a competitive vehicle to Tahoe and, and of course, Expedition uh, before. I guess you could argue that the Durango was in that area, but it didn't really play. Yeah. Uh, else this, oh, I think they're brilliant they, doing it on the 1500 chassis myself. Well, right? They had the Commander there for a while. Yeah, they did, but it, but was, not, it was not. Using the word competitive, using the word competitive would be a stretch. Uh, it didn't stick around too long. But wasn't the commander basically on a, a same kind of unibody chassis they'd yeah. use for yeah. yeah. So this I think the body on frame and the size uh, are big. Now the commander was not a success at all, which is rare for Jeep. So anyway, I think we are all kind of anticipation. Um, see whether or not fuel economy rules tighten up on these big SUVs and whether or not they're going to be short-lived or not. But I have a feeling that America's appetite for big SUVs is going to continue, at least as long as gas is inexpensive as it is. Uh, we have a question, a viewer question today from Ryan. He says, I'm tossing around the idea, and this uh, for everybody that's a, a truck owner is a familiar kind of uh, rite of passage. Says I'm tossing around the idea of taking my family on a camping road trip with a rented camper trailer, but admittedly I've never tossed towed anything with my F-150 before. Do we have any advice? First time towing and not towing something small. Uh, I would say the first thing I don't know how new your F-150 is, or uh, make sure you have a brake controller. If you don't have one, get one installed. You're going to need that. Um, other than that, I would actually towing is not a big deal. You just need a little more space. Um, the big thing is backing it up and parking it. it. So yeah. I would find a big parking lot, do some practicing because uh, some of those campgrounds have super tight uh, ways to get in and out. And uh, when you try to park it, there's always guys standing around with beers in their hands watching you. So uh, you want to know what you're doing. <laughs> it so, yeah. makes you so nervous. There's no way you're going to get it right. The best tip I ever heard, uh, and it really works, is uh, keep, uh, you know, it's opposite. If you want the trailer to go right, you need to turn left. So put your hand at the bottom of the steering wheel. Mm -hmm. And as you're looking back, you know, if you want the trailer to go right, push your hand right, which will make you turn left. And um, that's makes it pretty it, simple. It, it's, um, yeah, to that point, because um, it is, it's a little bit weird at first, but it's very much a feel thing. I think you, you can't, like, overthink it. You can't actively think, well, I got to go this way to go that way. You kind of just have to make subtle little movements with the wheel and know that you might go the wrong way, but at least you're making a little one. And then uh, over that little amount of time, you actually get a nice feel for it. So, I mean, just it, it might sound cliche, but like don't overthink it. Just kind of feel it, which would, you know, that's that's helped me in the past. And by no means, I'm not a great backer upper of trailers. So maybe take that with a grain of salt. 
Jessica, any advice? I, I've practice, never practice, towed. practice. Yeah, practice. I mean, I've never towed anything before, but I imagine, you know, I will have the opportunity to do so relatively soon at Motor Week. Some at some point. Um, but yeah, practice because it is it. It seems a little daunting. That's for sure. I got to tell you, the the thing that worries me about first time trailer buyers is. Brian's right. Once you get on the road, it really doesn't feel that much different unless the trailer is super heavy and you all of a sudden find yourself driving like you would if you weren't towing something. And that means sometimes cutting out into traffic a little too quickly, maybe not leaving enough room. I, I can't tell you the number of trailers I've been behind on the interstates. And I see somebody do that. And of course, the first thing you see is the trailer starting to fishtail and starting to drive the truck itself. Uh, so if you are, Ryan, going to do this, follow the advice you've been given so far. But before you take the trip, get out on the highway, do some practice. Again, practice. Uh, practice passing because you will do some probably. And make sure you never lose, fact, uh, lose sight of the fact that you've got something behind you that's uh, twice as long as, uh, as normal. Yeah, that kind of, I was going to lead that into a rant because it's happened Good. so often that um, when you do tow something and you can kind of tell novice towers because they'll try to pass somebody and forget they have a couple thousand pounds behind them. So mm -hmm. normally you'd be able to pass pretty quickly and get back in the right lane wherever you were, but you get caught thinking I can pass this person. Then you're in the left lane, but not going at the speed everybody else in the left lane is going. So now you've, built up a traffic jam behind you because you thought you could pass somebody as quickly as you could without towing something. So I think you just have to remember again, like while it feels like you're not towing anything, you are, and you'll find that out when you slam on the gas and you aren't <laughs> going as fast as you think you should be. Or slam on the brakes. Like Brian said, yeah. you really do need a brake controller. Okay. Well, I hope that was some help. I do want, before we close the show today, I want to talk about, uh, especially with Jessica, something that um, she's in charge of with our social media and something we're bringing back for the 40th anniversary season. And that is something we had from the very first episode, our car of the week, where basically we're out there asking our viewers, if you've got a special vehicle, send us photographs and some history about the vehicle and we will select them uh, over the course of the next uh, year uh, to be on the Car of the Week, and we expect to do a different one every show, so that's 52 of them. Uh, with that said, if you get picked, we'll be sending you a little something as a thank you at the end of it. And uh, Jessica, how do they go about submitting photos, and where's the fine print? Yeah, so basically, um, it's pretty simple um you need to you can submit your photos via email so the email we use is uh, motorweek at mpt.org um so send us a few uh photographs of your pride and joy um and and then a couple little bit of information i need your name your location um and then just a little bit about like what your favorite thing about your vehicle is and yeah just a little bit of background um so we can sort of address it in in the show and we're really it's open to any vehicles we obviously hope you've got some pride and joy that's got some history to it but if you've 
bought something new and you're just over the moon about it, you know, send that in as well. Uh, we're really going to take a look and try and pick a variety of different vehicles. And this is going to be pretty much a, uh, a staff thing. We're going to have a chance to, to look at them and say, that's really cool. Uh, I got to tell you the one, we've picked the one for the episode number one. We're not going to tell you what it is, but it's, it's an oldie, but a, I won't say a goodie, but it's an oldie. And it's one that'll, that's very con was very controversial when it was new and probably still is today. And, uh, but it's a beautiful car. So any, uh, any thoughts about either one of you two guys got anything you want to enter in car of the week, although you really can't. No, I don't have anything good. I have no money, but I would say, um, if anybody, no finds, huh? if anybody has a Ferrari F40, um, bonus points, if you submit it and let me drive it. So <laughs> that would be great. Give us the, uh, the email once again, Jessica. Oh, motorweek at mpt.org. And that's M is in Maryland Public Television, so mpt.org. Please mm -hmm. send it in, and uh, who knows? You oh, may just have a motorweek car of the week. I just well, got an email from B. Robinson at mpt.org <laughs> with a, a go-kart. That doesn't work. No, well, I don't know. We're, oh, we're, not gonna put any, we're not putting any restrictions on it. One final piece of advice for the yeah. uh, guy going camping is uh, black water first and then gray water. <laughs> yeah. hope, explain, figure, go ahead and explain for non-campers. No, Google it. They'll figure it out. <laughs> black water first and then gray water. I had to tell you from my limited experience, that's very good advice. Thanks, everybody, for a terrific uh, podcast today. Brian, Greg, and Jessica, thanks very much for joining us. Everybody out there, we want to thank, as we always do, our audio engineer, Jim Bigwood, for putting this all together and making us uh, sound as good as we possibly can. Greg, of course, is our podcast producer and our podcast uh, creator, Bob Mixter, back at MPT. And to all of you, thanks very much for watching today and also for watching Motor Week on all your local public television stations, as well as over on the Motor Trend uh, cable network. And you know, anywhere you are, you can find Motor Week. We've got our motorweek.org website. We have our YouTube channel. Uh, Jessica's standing by to answer any of your uh, social media issues. If, we're out, if you're out there and you want to know about what's coming in new cars, we hope you'll consider us. And as we say every week, thanks very much for being a part of Motor Week. You've been listening to the podcast of Motor Week television's original automotive magazine. MotorWeek is made possible by TireRack.com and RockAuto.com. For additional information on podcasts, videos, and showtimes, visit our website at MotorWeek.org. And watch MotorWeek, television's longest-running automotive magazine series, each week on your local PBS station.